NBA season underway, Raptors tonight. I'm J.D. Bunkus. Last night, really just sneaky, awesome sports day. Yankees, they get to rock the baby. Old Josh Naylor, tough one. I, tougher day, Josh Naylor or Terry Francona. Or Jordan Poole, who Draymond Green makes a 20-minute propaganda documentary about how he doesn't care what people think about. Or sorry, he didn't even notice that you saw the video. He didn't know it was that big of a deal. Uh, no weird little observation from that game. No public sign of remorse from Draymond. Huh. Like, no hugging of Jordan Poole at the ceremony, no moment on the court together other than one pick-and-roll play where Draymond finishes at the basket and then they awkwardly pass each other and there's one little high five. Um, I, I'm going to rapid-fire a couple quick things before I get Ennis on here for the good hour. Uh, I think Jason Tatum looks like he could be an MVP this year and the Celtics might actually be the Eastern favorites. I know that's one game, but the Malcolm Brogdon thing, if he stays healthy and they can get Robert Williams back in the fold... I don't know if there's a deeper team with as much upside. Like, for them to have now secondary scoring off the bench, somebody who can run their offense when it's not Tatum or Brown, who's streaky at times, that's just massive for them. Like, guy who can shoot, guy who can create, guy who can play some defense. It was just, like, really noticeable. Philly felt too familiar. Harden looks like he's in shape, but there was some preseason buzz about Philly, and they got Melton, they made some nice moves, but they felt very, very familiar. Warriors did their thing, rings no opening night. A little bit of an awkward moment at the beginning with Clay just passing the mic off to Steph early on. I love all their young guys. They look like they could present some real fun, but to me, the pool Draymond thing is just a, a continued watching experience. And then finally, um, there were moments in that game where LeBron looked old. I know his stat line finishes nice, but that was a little bit of stat padding at the end. And it's not going to be Tom Brady this year, but I kind of did want the symmetry of the end of LeBron and the end of Brady. But here's where I do think that symmetry works. I don't think LeBron's ever winning again. It's done. That Lakers team is trash. And if they lose he or Davis to an injury, which is very likely given LeBron's age and AD's track record, I think they're a lottery team. Uh, by the way, they don't have their pick. <laughs> so that's cool. That's cool for Lakers fans. Anyway, it's Ben Ennis. What's up, buddy? How are we doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. Oh, you sound good today. You sound good. You sound like you got some pep in your step. Sorry for making you sit through that rapid fire of takes. I just, I wasn't sure what we were going to get to today. So I kind of wanted to just rip uh, a bunch of observations from yesterday. Yesterday was just, a, I was a slug. I went from four o'clock until like 1am just slugged out watching sports. I, I, I know. And, and you want to make sure you get your takes in because God knows that if, if I start talking, there's no way you'll regain the airwaves again and be able to, to, to get your takes in. No, I'm glad. I'm glad we, we, I get to build off your, your incredible take of the team that won the Eastern Conference is the favorite to win the Eastern Conference again. Yeah, they're not the betting favorites. I think a lot of people have Milwaukee there. And the, the story last year was the only reason the Celtics got to the finals was that there was a Chris Middleton injury. And, and I, I like, if you looked at them in the finals, especially what were they missing, right? When Tatum looked like he had run down and he didn't have anything anymore, they missed that other score. And I'm just saying that Brogdon to me is a, a bigger pickup than uh, he, he's a big pickup. Like he's just a very, very Dude, big pickup. And it's obvious he, that the injury problems are real, but 
man, that guy can play. And and did I have a moment where, and will it come up with Blake Murphy and Vivek Jacob today when I do my Raptors roundtable about how he would have fit into the Raptors and how desperately they could have used a guy like that and why he was rumored to be potentially a Raptor? Yeah, it's, it's going to come up because the president looked great. Dude, he's one of those guys, and there's a few guys that you and I share opinions on mm-hmm. uh, super favorably. And he's like maybe number one in the NBA that he is, he's a difference maker, yeah. obviously. Like plays uh, well at both sides. I mean, the, the question about him is health, of course, of course. But yeah, if he's healthy, like, yeah, no question adding a guy that can hit a three, although I don't, I don't think he hit one yesterday. But yeah, and plays his defense with his energy. He's just like, a, he, he is, and this is cornball too, but he is just one of those winning players, yeah, right? I feel that way too. I, I really do. I feel like he's a winning player. You and I were both surprised when Milwaukee let him walk. And then he dealt with injuries basically every second of every minute since they let him go. And you went, oh, okay. But right now, just Boston, you can, you just see it, man. You just see the upside. What do you think of those jerseys, by the way? Uh, you know, I love them. I, you're you're a big time jersey guy. Yeah. I, the thing about I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, that NBA jerseys I don't have hard takes on because it's never something you would wear in public yeah. as like a normal person, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, you can't, dude. When you, can't you ever wear you one? see the guy at the actual basketball game too wearing the jersey, no shirt underneath it, it's just wow. Okay, oh, this is dear. The, this is who you no, are. Those no worse alone. You can wear a right? basketball jersey um, to a music festival that's outdoors. Or yes. to go play basketball. That That's is correct. That is the list of Two appropriate scenarios. places where you can wear it. Maybe the gym, but like, yeah. Mm. Uh, again, that's 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 borderline basketball court. Like, I'll, let's just lump physical activity in with the jersey, okay? Like, let's just give it. Yeah, there's a grace to you doing anything with the basketball jersey. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny that you say I'm a jersey guy. Like, I like the way they look. I like sports fashion, as we used to do on Good Show. But yeah. I, I, I don't ever wear jerseys. I don't ever wear another team's uniform. I, like, I just find it impossible to do now. And I have some in my closet from my younger days, you know? But yeah. I just, I can't, I can never muster the putting on a, a jersey now that we do this for a living. I just, I can't well, do it. I haven't done it for years. Unless, unless you're it's Seahawks, a yeah. sporting event? Seahawks going to a game, football going to a game is where I will go. I won't wear a Leafs jersey to a Leafs game. I would never wear a Raptors jersey to a Raptors game, and I would never wear a Blue Jays jersey to a Blue Jays game, like some people used to. That, you yes. know, yeah, that all the time. Uh, listen, I, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've i been to a couple of Blue Jays games with my family, and they it's all have It's different when you have kids, though. And, and it's so cute. Yeah. All four of us dressed up in our Jays uniforms. Yeah. I got the tiny little Vlad Jr. Uh, uniform for, for yeah. my kiddos. Like, there's, come on, there's you nothing cuter than the Vlad four Jr. of us walking down the hallways of Rogers Center wearing yeah. our, our Blue Jays. I, buddy, uniforms. that's what I'm saying. If you're wearing the jersey with your kids in this industry, it's fine. By the way, I'm not saying don't wear jerseys because i take a lot of heat for my you shouldn't wear jerseys of the guys younger than you no i just think that generally jerseys are not as good of a look as some people think and to me it's not a necessity going to a game but if you wear one going to a game you're a sports fan that's awesome i don't care about that i'm saying if you work in this industry i kind of find it cringe if i run into at a game and you're not with your kids and you're wearing a marner jersey yeah (laughs) I, i will not think that's great a great look that's just my opinion anyway let's move on who had a harder day terry francona or josh naylor uh josh naylor played it well right like i think josh naylor actually kind of won the way he spun it he's like i love it they were yeah. chanting my name <laughs> yeah. and look and at all the like, attention yeah, and now I got. you have that for you can play it in your headphones on the plane going home josh like that's <laughs> that's i was uh I, I saw that too i appreciated him trying to spin it and that was a yeah. very good villain move right is i loved it 
But mm-hmm. no, you you went home. Like you lost, and they, yeah, but he made. Game five of a division series yeah. against a team that won 99 games yeah. was super heavy favorites against you. You play on the youngest team in Major League Baseball. You were yeah. huge, huge underdogs. You put the fear of God into the New York freaking yeah. Yankees, and you hit a home run off Garrett Cole, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to view Josh Naylor as, as a loser in this scenario, despite the fact that his team actually hey. physically lost. You're right. But uh, – and you know what? I don't know if I view Terry Francona as a loser okay. either because he's no, going to be paid $20 million a year for the next five years okay. to be the manager of the Blue Jays. Okay, yeah. I, I'll hold that because I do want to get there. Um, you're right. You're, you're right about the Naylor thing. He had an awesome moment. He had a breakout performance. He is a, a, he's truly become a terrifying slugger. And he's – you would say he's the centerpiece of that trade, right? Uh yeah yeah because yeah, he's more he's... if you if they had to make a decision tomorrow on uh who, well Quantrill the, was Quantrill. part of that I know he was but that's what I'm saying if you had to make a decision tomorrow on who you'd rather have Quantrill or Naylor you'd take Naylor I guess so yeah yeah, the, yeah. I mean I, so that's uh, all yeah, a guy that has you know 35, 40 homer upside yeah. um and plays every day good back to ball cool yeah. energy guy yeah I just. I think that he's more valuable than Cal Quantrill. Again, if you want to parse or split hairs, fine. I just think that he is the centerpiece to a trade that a year from now, especially, we're going to be, it's going to be like a raise trade where we go, can you believe they got all these guys for X? Like, that's what that Cleveland trade was. It was a Tampa Bay Rays special of, wow, you got rid of a guy at the right time for a package of players that are all contributing to your team. Incredible. Um, I do want to talk about the managerial stuff with you, but yeah, I like Naylor. But before we do that, are you gonna are you willing to recant your that wasn't good for the game take with the Rock the Baby because that became truly one of the stories of the season. It obviously offended you. Don't shake your head. You texted me. You thought it was yeah, disrespectful. Was... You thought it was no. lame. You you, no, I you said basically it was lame. you goose gossage did. It was okay. I called you goose gossage in the text messages. But do you want to recant because it wasn't lame and now like it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool baseball moment. It's the moment of the playoffs now. Um. For the record, yeah. no, this is not a Ben Verlander uh, situation <laughs> yeah. where I was you like, oh, man, my, my eyes, yeah, they're poor melting ben, out of my Verlander, skull. Uh, he's, you know, he's still getting over it. You think he's okay? Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, all right. Um, I hope so. Actually, Thoughts and prayers with him. I, I talked to Ben Verlander a, a couple of days ago. Uh, I guess it was late last week. I was, it was on Friday about his brother, Justin, how he's going to yeah. be a Blue Jay next year as well. Mm. I'm adding all kinds of um, free <laughs> agents, potential free agents yeah. to the Blue Jays That's this cool. offseason. He stole Ben Nicholson's thing. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't think it was bad for the game or disrespectful for uh, to Garrett Cole, even though it kind of is, but I don't care. Like that, That's cool to be yeah. disrespectful <laughs> to Garrett Cole. Yeah. Like Garrett Cole is, is the number Garrett one Cole. you can be disrespectful to him athlete and no one should care, right? Like, yeah. If we had no, to do this the guy... pantheon of it, he's got to be at the top of the mountain. I don't even, like, is Russell Wilson now too? But he's number one. Yeah. Um, Russell Wilson, if you're Russell Wilson's teammate, like, if you're not disrespectful to Russell Wilson, I actually don't respect you. Yeah. Like, you kind of have to be when he's yelling at his teammates to, to call it a run or a pass. I'm unlimited. Yeah, okay, yeah he's the worst. I know. Yeah. I can't believe I had to root for him. I feel so free. Yeah, yeah. And now you got, uh, you know, most improved player of the year, Geno Smith. So here's here's my actual spin. Can you be most improved if you were always good? I think Geno was always wow. good. Geno was always good. He just never had the opportunity. Anyway, sorry, I didn't want to derail your uh, your thoughts on 
Uh, here's Goose Gossage again with his opinion on uh, <laughs> fun things for the game. Continue, Goose. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was lame. Like, the fact that you have to, like, not only rock the... It would have been cooler, honestly. Okay. I would have been more on board if he just rocked the baby and were like, what was that? And then afterwards, this, you know, the whole story unfolded and everybody... But he, he's like... As he's going around the bases, he's like, you're my son. I loved it. You're my son. <laughs> it's so lame. Are you? I can't believe you're defending that. that I, it was, it's the I lamest it was thing incredible. that's ever happened on I, a sporting field. I thought it was incredible. I cannot imagine. I, I still think to this day there is nothing cooler in sports that you could possibly do than hit a home run in the postseason. So, Correct. like, to hit a home run in the playoffs is the coolest thing that anyone can do in sports. That's I don't even know what it like hit a three like no you no. do that a bunch in a game it's like I think number two would be lay somebody out right just like cold mm-hmm. out put somebody in a football game like yeah that guy's in the morgue but now that's frowned upon know. so yeah yeah that the the the, the Kawhi dunk in game six uh, yeah dunking the, would be cool the, but the thing is is you dunk all like you can good. dunk multiple times in a game yeah dunking in a huge spot would be awesome and n one I'm not saying these things aren't great I'm saying the greatest right it's a scale yeah. It's a scale of greatness. <laughs> Are you saying that uh, scoring a goal in Game Seven of a Finals is would you don't not like be cool? Yeah, yeah strikeouts. Yeah, pitcher strikeout to win the World home Series, run. not doing it for you. Home run is a cool thing, especially one that you absolutely blast the way that Naylor did, and to do it off of Garrett Cole, and to be doing it in front of your home crowd. That's just that's not that's uh, that's top of the mountain. That's that's the top of Everest when it comes to sports. So the fact that he showed a ton of emotion doing it and that he was talking that talk to Garrett Cole the entire way around the bases, I loved it because that made me feel connected. There's so many times where you and I talk about this. I don't want to get preachy, but sometimes it feels like not that athletes don't care, but that um, it's just not the same in terms of it's all or nothing with their sport, right? There's other endeavors in their life that they want to be doing, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that sports can feel not as... That just made me feel like Josh Naylor is an everyman. That's how an everyman reacts to getting an opportunity like that. And it was cool. And I loved that when he went into the dugout, he was so fired up that Jose Ramirez even was like, dude, just relax. <laughs> he just... Yeah. He was not... Well, that's a, part of his thing too, right? A, like yeah. he hit a walk-off home run this year where he like I think his it, all his molecules almost just separated and like he no, just became awesome. pure energy yeah like he, he, he <laughs> so there is that like yeah I'm all about you're right like hitting a home run Bautista bat flip mm-hmm. uh seventh inning game five everything building to that moment there's nothing cooler that you can do and no more like just it's calm 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 and then it's an explosion of emotion because mm-hmm. it happens so quickly but um Act cool, like act yeah. cool. Right. I just, I, I, I find I like a, I, a bat flip is like you're, you're doing the same thing except it's like cooler. I just, I just didn't I, I think disagree. it was cool. I, I, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah, that's fine. I just think if you look at it now, there's those guys are forever. If they, if he just does a little minor rock the baby, I don't think it it lasts the way that it does. But it it sparks some conversation around a game that needs more conversation around it. It now creates more of a rivalry between two teams when. The world of rivalries is dissipating when athletes are far more um, cordial and friendly with one another as is that we actually have this moment that baseball had in the playoffs that we're all going to remember. I I thought that, yeah, that's worth it, even if you think it's a little corny. Okay, so the second thing off of this series, right? And now we'll tie it into the Blue Jays. Um, All day long, I sat here and went, there's no way Terry Francona is actually going to start Savali in a do-or-die game. The pitcher on his staff that has the worst 
ERA on the team in the first innings of ball games because he's had like a three game decent stretch coming off of an injury. Um, there's absolutely no way that they're going to keep Shane Bieber uh, sidelined, the ace of their staff, a guy who was begging to play yesterday. Sorry, two days ago. But uh, the day before they get the rainout, they get this gift from the gods that the Yankees go out and use and say, yeah, we're going to put Nestor Cortez in this game because he's a stud and we're going to use him over Jamison Tyone. Duh, we're not idiots. This is an all-or-nothing proposition. Terry Francona elects to put in Savali. And guess what? It backfires. Um, he looks rattled. He hits Rizzo. And then he gives up a huge moonshot. And then he puts another runner on base and his day is over. I think he records one out. And... Yeah, in a tight-knit ball game where the Cleveland Guardians can only score one run, it turns out to be the death knell for them. We can say that they only scored one, but I'm a big believer in, hey, how does something impact a ball game, the little ripple effect of an event? And I think that that sewered them. Um, did it make you feel any differently about the, the Blue Jays-Terry Francona thing? Because you and I started to have a bit of a conversation about Schneider and how this continues to linger and whether this is weird yet. When does it get weird? What were your just sort of feelings about the Francona situation? Because I, I think it does tie into my feelings about the Blue Jays' managerial choice. I mean, never has there been a more reactionary take than guy started Aaron Savali yep. in Game 5 of the DS I'm a, I'm a uh, despite guy. winning two World Series and bringing yeah. another team to a Game 7 of a World Series is going to waltz. Like, he's going to do a moonwalk into the Hall of Fame, but because yeah. he started Savali in Game 5, you're out on him. Can I, can I like, tell you why? Okay. It was a reminder. It was just a reminder that even the greatest managers do dumb things. And yes. like, so I started thinking about the worst managerial decisions of the last five years, right? And I wrote down three for you. I wrote down, obviously, Blake Snell is the top, right? Blake Snell just dealing in a World Series and Kevin Cashman, the computer was like, take him out. And he said, yes, Lord, computer, I will oblige. And he I took... I hope there's a lot of Dave Roberts. There, there is. Well, him. Dave Roberts, I, I had to actually pick the worst one. And the worst one was Ryan Madsen. He yeah. went to a reliever that all year long had like an ERA around six and he had two decent outings. And then against the Red Sox with an opportunity to put the series away, he went with two runners on. Hey, Madsen, get ready. And Madsen subsequently came in the ballgame and uh, blew it immediately. Uh, gave up an absolute moonshot. Uh, so uh, to Mitch Morse, if I recall that one correctly. Um, so, yeah, I think that this the Terry Francona decision goes in that pantheon in the three worst ones, the three worst decisions in the last five years, he is there. Dave Roberts probably has a few, um, but yeah, whatever. Those are the three that I think of. Roberts won a World Series. Kevin Cash is still regarded as one of the best managers in baseball. Terry Francona, like you said, is going to moonwalk into the Hall of Fame. But it was just a reminder that John Schneider has been, you know, born and raised within this organization. He has developed with these guys. He knows these players. He is deeply ingrained in everything Blue Jays right now. He had an incredible regular season. And I just, I looked at it as, all right, if you really believe Terry Francona is going to come to the Blue Jays and impose this aura of maturity around the ball club and have this, like, missing ingredient that the team desperately needs, like he is the shakeup, sure, then I guess I'm still on board with it. I'm not hardline against Terry Francona. That's actually idiotic. I'm not being that reactionary where I go, there's no way. But it just, it did remind me that everyone is fallible. Everyone makes mistakes. Even the greatest ones do. And if we're balancing these things on, hey, what are the pros and cons of each guy, It that little reminder did make me feel a little bit more comfortable with picking Schneider over him. That's all. Yeah. Well, uh, man, the, that's exactly correct. Like, when it comes to in-game decision-making, everything that we can absorb as far as evaluating a manager's pros and cons, 
I don't. Are they going to be all that different? I would hope not. Honestly, you think Terry Francona's joining up with Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins and saying it's my way or the highway? Get rid of your spreadsheets, right? Like, no, of course. That would be pretty sweet if he just walked into the computer lab and was like, you know, and he just does a bat. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That would be sweet. Uh, Actually, if that's the scenario, I'm down. You know, I'm down. Yes. He's not. Um, Nobody can if they want to manage in Major League Baseball. That's why Joe Madden's like out forever, right? Like his his post-firing tour. And now he's doing a podcast where he's like, analytics, they've taken over the game, which is true, right? Like, But that's you can't just say no to analytics and expect to work again in Major League Baseball. So I think that's it for Joe Madden. And clearly Terry Francona is not saying no to analytics. The whole reason the, the Red Sox started winning World Series is because Theo Epstein was like, hey, um, analytics are kind of good, right? Yeah, yeah. And it trades Nomar Garcia-Para, and, and they embrace the, the new wave of statistics and understanding baseball in 2004 and win a couple of World Series under Terry Francona. So, no, it's not about in-game decision-making. It's whatever else is involved with managing a Major League Baseball team. And I honestly, I can't tell you what that is. And I've tried to ask a million people and try and understand what it is. All I know is that he has it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, look at the track record of success, even this year. Mm-hmm. This team that everybody was lining up to play, right? Oh, how do we tank ourselves into that third wild card spot so we can play the Guardians in the first round? That's obviously an easier path to victory than even having a home wild card round in the first round. And once again, you know, okay, he wins a couple of super low scoring weirdo uh, cold weather games against the Rays, but he advances to game five. Yeah. Yeah, he advances to game five of a DS against a team with a $200 million payroll, right? So, yeah, I, I don't – it's not about decision-making because is he going to Tim Mesa in the sixth inning of game two against the Mariners? Maybe. Like, I can't tell you he's not. It, it's, it's, it's partly about that. And, and, and if he does, I think the questions about his managerial acumen in those situations are much less because, again, the resume, two World Series – and a Game 7 of a, a World Series with, with Cleveland against a great, great Cubs team. But it's, it goes way beyond that. And mm-hmm. I wish, like, this is where it's, it's difficult me, for me to talk about because I don't know what that is. But I do, I, I do believe that there's something to it because it's just, it's happened time and time again with him. Yeah. And, hey, um, I, I can't push back on any of that because, yeah, like you said, the resume is the resume. And he did it again this year. And it's very, very clear that that is there. The things that we can't touch on. Um, those exist with Terry Francona. The other part of it too is I actually do love. Uh, I think that it's it's very much the Chargers situation with some sometimes in baseball where you go, hey, obviously all of this data and information is good to have, and obviously you want to side a lot of times with whatever models you have, especially in baseball where they can be so incredibly reliable, but. I like the idea that you have a manager who has weight to push back on those things, right? Not the my way or the highway, because that's stupid, and you already outlined the Joe Madden thing. But for someone who can have a feel for a moment and a feel for a clubhouse and a feel for, um, yeah, just the human element of sport better than the computer generation can, I I do like that as a bit of a pushback to the way things are going, and I think Terry represents that. And, And I think that there's an added weight um, or sorry, an added value to coaches in all sports who now have that ability, who all have that pull, um, as long as it doesn't go too far in, like you mentioned, the Madden direction. Uh, I just don't know why Schneider at some point can't become the next guy, 
Like, are oh, we, yeah. you know, and, and that to me is well, valuable. And if you're the Blue Jays, do you feel like the dude who came in here, who does seem to be universally respected by your guys, who does, you know, fancy, he is a baseball man. Like, he's not some nerd off the shelf who is just going to be dying for the computer love. Like, maybe he is just the guy. I, I just, yeah, I, I think it's a tough decision. I really do. It's a tougher decision than I once thought it was because I was very much entrenched in your camp of, hey, if you can get Terry, you get Terry. And, and now I'm just, I'm, I feel a little bit more complicated about it. Um, as far as having the weight or the, the, the organizational belief that you can go against the computer models even ever so slightly, I do believe that that's the case with John Schneider, right? Like, I think that yeah. if you're looking at some of the, the major points of difference between he and Charlie Montoya. One is clearly the whether it's true or not, and like this doesn't speak to his character. Like the the players in that clubhouse thought he was more of a leader, right? Clearly has born. What's that? Yeah, I, yeah, I know. Well, he's just. Gonna, I, I would like for him to do an interview where he can defend himself, well, but the, these guys never do. Well, but the, yeah, the, the, the tough one for him is that he is truly going to become the um, example of the manager that whenever anybody does anything good, <laughs> people are going to go. And that's not yeah. what this guy would have done. And I, that's a tough legacy to have. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I it's like the, yeah, Rob Babcock, yeah. Uh, John Ferguson Jr. Yeah, 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 yeah he's, he's gonna, that. Yeah, he's he's a pole for bad managing. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so it was, it was partly the leadership thing, but partly that he didn't just take everything and, and apply it immediately because he was so grateful to have a job and, you know, he thought that that's what his job was, was to be just a conduit for the front office to make decisions. He took most of it, and I think a lot of it, maybe 99.999, but there was like a point zero zero one where he, you know, he ran a little bit more. He was changing the, the batting yeah. order uh, up a little bit. I mean, I, I don't recall Bobichet hitting seventh under Charlie Montoyo, but he certainly did. Under, under John Schneider. So that, that's part of the equation. I do, and I think it's almost binary here. I think the Blue Jays like John Schneider a lot. I think he did a great job. But I think they feel that there would be major regret if they didn't at least ask Terry if he's open to joining their organization because they mm -hmm. think he has it. And then when he says, no, either I'm returning to Cleveland because I'm so loyal here and they, they want me and this team's good, or no, I'm going to retire because... You know, I'm my physically it's it's too taxing on me. Then they say okay, and then they come back to John Schneider, and hopefully by that point he's like, uh, guys, what was the holdup? And he, he doesn't find out that they were fishing around now, for for Terry Francona. You but and I yeah, very much. I, I think he's still that. more than likely going to be the manager for the Blue Jays in 2023. Yeah, I, I don't think that John Schneider has the equity to be upset about the Terry Francona thing, and especially it's so funny because. You know, you and I talked about this briefly yesterday, and I told you to save it for so we could have this conversation on air. But I, I do think that there is a, a little bit of an oddity to your argument that you have, like Terry Francona has it, and everyone understands the track record, the resume, moonwalking in the Hall of Fame. Um, and so John Schneider's going to be offended that they wanted to talk to that guy. Like, I, if I'm John Schneider, I get offended if they just decide to make it an open field and they go, hey, we're just going to bring a bunch of different minds in here and just kick the can around and see all the different voices and people, what they have to offer. That's insulting. I may have experienced such a thing in my career. <laughs> you know, that's insulting. But had they done that, you know, and, and brought in, they go, hey, uh, Rich Eisen, Dan Patrick, they're going to they're gonna just come in and interview to do this show. I would go... Oh yeah, you have to do that if you you got you got to have a brain. You got to know your place in the world to some degree. If in fact, if John Schneider doesn't realize that you have to at least talk to Terry Francona uh, in replace of you, 
then he's a loser because he has no idea who he is. He he's completely, um, yeah. He his brain is out of whack. He he has no well, ability to place who he is in the world. And sports are about confidence, and everyone yeah. wants to believe they're the best. But no man, one guy like you said has already done it, and he has continued to do it through over twenty years. And you've done it for since the All Star break. <laughs> you know, you beat up on the Baltimore Orioles and the Rangers down the stretch, and then choked in a postseason. I'm sorry. Yeah, you haven't earned the the right to be offended. And you certainly, I don't. I, this is probably a question for someone more in the know than either of us. But I can't. He's a Blue Jays guy right now. I don't think he's a Major League Baseball commodity. Look at. Even Pete Walker, who had been in this organization forever and well-respected, and there was, like, one rumor that the Mets might talk to him. I don't even know if they did. I, I don't know how many job offers John Schneider, you know, how many calls he fields if if he does decide, you know what, I'm offended and I want to walk away from this. And, hey, he calls his agent and says, what else is out there? He goes, uh, bench jobs. Yeah, probably. You're, you're right. I do think that there is, like, an irrational confidence that you have to have to be a professional athlete, which he was. He never made the major leagues, but he played – almost 20 years of professional baseball, right? Yeah. Reaching as, as high as AAA, that you do have to believe, despite all evidence to the contrary, that you're the best in the world and and that everybody would be lucky to have you in any capacity. So, do yeah, you think no, I think you're right. And like, though, are, are like coaches, because I'm sure there are some yeah. coaches like that, but I, I feel Jim like... Jim Riggleman was the former manager of the Nationals, yeah. and he, they wouldn't give him a, a huge contract. So he's like, I'm out of here. And they're like, great. Yeah. And then in comes Dave Martinez, and they win a World Series. But, but this is kind of where I'm going with this. I feel like if you are going to be a great coach, um, or at least a good coach, you have to have perspective. Because how else are you going to relate to people? And if you really do believe, you, when you're John Schneider, I'm the greatest coach alive, and, and you're kind of carrying around that mentality around your group, I, I don't, I, I just don't know how that works for a coach unless you are... Yeah, Belichick. And even Belichick doesn't seem to do that. Like, I know he probably does have an ego, but he doesn't really seem to give it off in, in terms of, like, being in public. Anyway, um, I, I want to move on to the next topic because we spent uh, enough time on this. But, yeah, I, I think that we have kind of honed in on what the scenario is. I just think that what we disagree upon is how um, how cut and dry the decision should be if he does want to come here. And, two... Um, whether or not John Schneider should have any emotions about this. And I'm sure that they've communicated to him as well. Like, hey, this is what we're doing. You know we're doing due diligence. I don't, would it even put you past, would it even put, wait, let me try this one more time. Would it even, would you even put it past them? There it is. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, look at that brain going. What? If they had just told him straight up, hey, we we want to. Yeah, I was actually thinking, as you were saying that, I was like, you know what? That's, that's. It, it's not. It's not like you can have a conversation with Terry Francona as 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 covert as you may think that you mm-hmm. are. And you know what? Maybe conversations have already taken place. I think you probably have his phone number. Like you could probably text him. He's <laughs> no, preparing or, for Game Five. Hey, uh, you're choosing Savali. Well, we know you're going home. So what, not in the playoffs. <laughs> so but what like, are you doing? Like, what are you doing tomorrow during afternoon? The season. Coffee? Question mark. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I think that's that's probably that 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 might be accurate. Mm. That that hey hey John. You're great. We we love you. And mm-hmm. man, imagine you were in our shoes. Would you not want to take a shot at Terry Francona if you could? Mm-hmm. And you'd still be part of the organization. Maybe the manager in waiting again, like when when Terry's done with us, because he's not going to be around for another twenty years as a major league manager. It's your job. Like, I, yeah, I could see that scenario. Okay, so one more Blue Jays topic, then we'll take a break, and I, I want to ask you about your your number one Raptors season storyline. So Shohei Otani um, through. 
his quote yesterday. I'm trying to pull it up. Uh, quote, I have rather negative impression of the season. End quote. Um, it's been long. He should. Yeah, he should. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, I even saw this quote and went, all right, like, is this within the context of him coming back? Like, is this him in a negotiation? Like, yeah, I, I thought it, it blew up a little bit in terms of, yeah, what, what if he's asked, hey, how do you feel about the Angels right now? He's like, I had a negative impression. Is that, like, does this actually apply to his future? But let's just say it does. Let's just say that's what this is driving at is, he, he doesn't think that the fence can be mended between he and the Angels. He doesn't see the timeline, blah, 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 blah. Um, he doesn't believe they can win. Uh, if he hits the market, what should the Blue Jays be willing to give up? Well, it, it's it's so hard to know because the Angels, it, it's all about what the, the Angels want here, right? For, so, and also, it, I want to preface this with, it's obvious to me, I should have mentioned it, but just for the sake of clarity, Shohei Otani being traded for like when, when you're acquiring him, you're assuming that you're immediately giving him a contract extension. Like this isn't a oh I hope he resigns. This isn't a Kawhi 2.0. Okay, like this is this is not a Kawhi. He is signing a long term deal in Toronto. This is the place that he is going to be for the next five seasons. Uh, I was going to say ten. Like I, if I trade for Shohei Otani, I give him a ten year, five hundred million dollar deal. Sure, I, I don't care about what you give him. I just mean that I'm assuming that his prime is going to be another five years, and that that's what you're hoping for. Yes, and and he pays for himself even outside of what he provides on the baseball field, right? Like the amount amount of advertising dollars that he brings in, the amount of merchandise that you can sell that's related to Shohei Otani. He pays for himself probably like 10 times over. You you have to start at the very top. Um, And part of this is also dependent on whether you can get even more value out of him because he's been obviously the most valuable player in baseball over the last two years because he can hit. And he can also pitch, and he, despite the fact that he also needs, he needs an extra day of rest, right? Like, this is, maybe people don't realize this, he's not a normal starter, right? Like, you can't build him into your rotation normally. He needs, instead of four days of rest, he needs five days. Like, every single start that he made with the Angels this year, uh, essentially, was with five days of rest. But he still made 28 starts this year. Um, But he's also your DH, He's, he's going to play almost 160 games as an offensive player, but in one position that inhibits you from doing other things like playing George Springer at DH. Because you, you need Shohei Otani's bat in the lineup every day, and you want to protect him physically, so you play him at DH. But he knows how to play the outfield. I can't hear you anymore. I don't know if, if you're speaking. I, I said that's actually – sorry, I turned my mic off. Um, it's actually – I turn my mic off a lot as a preventative measure for me to stop cutting people off because I have a tendency to do that. So I, so, but I just want to tell you that I think that's a really astute point about the DH that when we try to factor in his value to the Blue Jays is is very interesting considering that, yeah, you do want George Springer off of his feet for a certain amount of games this year. And, yeah, Kirk – I think here's the thing. Kirk to me is the just about a thousand percent in a, a trade for Shohei Otani, unless you're going Gavin Moreno. But if you're not, then Kirk's in there. And I, if I'm the Angels, I, I would want Kirk. I think uh, he's just a proven commodity that can hit, and he's young and all these different things. But you like you have a bunch of guys on your roster, obviously that that need DH time. And so factoring in Shohei as your everyday DH, which he would be does make your roster a little bit more complex. I don't think it prohibits you, but it is just an interesting point in terms of like who he's most valuable to. Maybe the Blue Jays aren't quite as high on that list. Yes, and I I think for that reason, you maybe look at... So you're you're looking at the very top of the roster, not the top of the the prospect 
rankings because no they're not just taking uncertain things for yeah Shohei i mean Otani. ricky tiedemann i guess is involved sure yep. but you're like looking at vlad or Bo. like it, it feels like it's a binary question like which guy would you send out the door and it might not be enough but it might be because i don't think this is a long like the angels and the amount of money that they've been spending a payroll that hasn't correlated in wins but the amount of uh, energy that they've they spent actually trying to win in the now like I don't think they're looking at a, a five and ten year rebuild unless they're also trading Mike Trout and then you're probably out of the equation honestly you probably hope that the only way you can get involved in a Shohei Otani trade conversation if the Angels are like we're not going full rebuild we're looking for win now pieces and then you trade Vlad okay. and then you trade Vlad yeah, he's the centerpiece of of a trade package it's way easier to backfill uh, a slugging first baseman and it should be said, a slugging first baseman who was good but not great. Like, it's really difficult to find what Vlad gave you last year, like impossible, because he was mm-hmm. the best offensive player in baseball. What he gave you this year was hard to find, but not impossible to find. Okay. Um, so he's, to me, and he still has the cachet in that market. Um, he's a, like, if you trade Shohei Otani for Vlad and you're an Angels fan, you're like, that's devastating, but like, soften the blow because we got Vladimir Guerrero junior who has name recognition has a bit of a track record and and i think everything outside of that is just ancillary pieces everything you said was awesome i'm just mad because this is where the whole segment was going and you you jumped the gun which was who says no for the the straight up deal of vlad for shohei like that's it if i'm the blue jays i go no there are no ancillary pieces sure like maybe we'll throw in some depth prospects or uh like i don't even know what else you throw in uh, like, that's on your current roster. I'm not giving up anything, really. You're getting Vladimir Guerrero Jr. What else? Yep. <laughs> you think you're going to top that? And you can sign him to an extension. That's what I'm saying. And then all of a and, sudden... And you get the... I mean, the Guerrero name, obviously, like... Yeah. Uh, no. Vlad Sr. started in Montreal, but, like, made his no, bones he's a, he's in that ballpark with that organization. It's it's a, it's a great PR coup for you. It's There's nothing else. There's nothing else on the table. I am playing complete hardball, and I don't... That's... Uh, I think if I'm the Blue Jays, I do that. I think I do that. I'm yeah. just I think that that is the one that's the trade of the offseason is and it's crazy to say this and I know some people are going to be so mad and the age and the injury stuff blah 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 blah. blah, blah. I think that if Shohei Otani is available, that's the phone call you make. Hey, we'll yeah. give you Vladdy and that that's the end of it. The two guys that were in the MVP discussion, what a fun trade that would be for baseball too. Like oh what goodness. an incredible baseball moment that would be those two guys getting swapped i don't think they're like it's pretty clear to me that well it's pretty pretty clear should be to the audience that no one's saying shop vladimir Guerrero jr here this is a hey if you can get the best player in baseball the most valuable player in baseball for vladimir Guerrero jr do you do it and what i say is yes it also changes i think you know a little bit of your timeline with having Bo and vladdy on that same trajectory where all of a sudden you could get a Shohei deal done and then buys you a little bit of time with Bo to see where Shohei's at in his career in a couple of years and whether or not you're going to offer him a massive extension piece. It just, to me, it's it's a, it's a call that, if we're talking about Terry Francona, you have to make that call. I think that you have to make a call on Shohei Otani. And oh, yeah. to me, I, I just, I, I don't know what the trade package would be from another organization that tops that unless the Angels want, you know, 35 top-end prospects. But... We just saw a trade with Juan Soto where, hey, let's see where that gets you, you know? <laughs> like, great, well, you might get yeah. a shortstop prospect that, eh, this could be decent. The maybe. Nationals are hoping that that's, you know, like that Cleveland trade that you're talking about, right? Where it's Mike Clevenger going one way and you can you can have four 
people hit on your roster could be. Or uh, it could in, be in the game in a Kyle Drayback and a bunch of pieces that really never impact anything yep. for you. Yeah, no, it's it's a roll of the dice. But no, yeah, yeah, here's what we know. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., while he might not be the best hitter in baseball next year, he's going to be pretty damn good, yeah. right? And that's somebody that you can sell yourself on being great and and rediscovering what he did in 2021 down the line and somebody that you can you can uh you can put next to Mike Trout Buddy, if, and if say I, that if that's I'm an a, a fan, it's, it's I want a one two punch if it's I'm as an good Angels as anybody fan, in baseball that's what I would want I would want this to happen overpaying Shohei Otani around a team that has not been able to do anything I would rather have Vladdy and and have a hedge for resetting of the timeline that's me if I'm an Angels fan I, I just think that that one works for both teams all right quick break and then let's come back, finish the good o, uh, the good ur. No, uh, it's the hour. Man, I don't know what's going on with me today. I think I'm melting. <laughs> I don't know what's going That's on. That's bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, what are you most interested in this season uh, for the Toronto Raptors? And then uh, Blake Murphy and Vivek Jacob in studio. Quick break. That's next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So Raptor season starts tonight. And again, I have Vivek and Blake. The Vivek and Blake, next, on the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Uh, but Ennis, uh, what do you care more, most about with this Raptor season? Because I, I do think that there's, you know, a little bit of... People are excited. People know this is going to be a good basketball team. Um, everybody wants to see growth always, right, with the Raptors. Yeah. But how much is a reasonable amount to expect is always a point of curiosity to me. So, but, like, yeah, what do you... Uh, what are you most honed in on? What are you most focused on? Like, what did you find your attention gravitated towards when you started to prep for the season? Okay, so, like, the basic answer is the one that is probably the most true, and it's what Scotty Barnes becomes this season. But that's, like, I think everybody is focused on on that. and yeah. that. But that is true, right? Like, that's the thing I'm most interested in because it's the thing that is the, the hinge point on whether you're watching a good Raptors season that, you know, has expectations of winning a round mm-hmm. or, man, in a couple of years, this could be a championship contender. But, yeah, so that's basic. I think it's like there's only one answer when it comes to that. But outside of that, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm really interested to see if this team continues to be the chemistry team, considering mm-hmm. the things that are up for grabs. We've already heard Pascal Siakam talk about wanting to be a top-five player, and obviously his all-NBA status at the end of the season going to be determining whether he can sign a Supermax extension. you got Fred Van Vliet's ability to sign an extension in season whenever, but a pending free agent. Gary Trent Jr., a pending free agent. It seems like a 1,000... NBA storylines ago, but remember OG Ananobi making some waves about, hey, um, I'm not enough of a focal point of this offense when he's on the same contract timeline as Pascal Siakam, and then of course Scotty Barnes, yeah, is, is he is his usage rate going up? So that's a that's a lot of guys that yes are interested in winning first and foremost, and winning takes care of a lot of that. But yeah, it, do we see some spillover into the the area of chemistry for a team that is? built itself on on team culture and cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good one. I think that's a great, great, great one. Because everyone does look at the Raps as that team, right? The These guys all get along. They're all best friends. I, would, I will say that um, I, I do think that just from an outsider's perspective, that Scotty Barnes appears to be the kind of guy that just, you know, does bring everybody together. Like, that is... They all do, though. That's the thing. That's, like, yeah. And OG, everybody loves OG, but no, clearly there's something happening with him. 
Yeah. Um, the OG piece of it is very fascinating to me. Like, very, very interesting to me because he didn't necessarily kick up waves, right? It was more just, hey, this was reported and this was, you know, rumored. And then he's kind of talking about it with, well, if this was true, then why wouldn't this, you know? And I was like, all right. All right. So, so you say. But Raptors, like, you, you're in enough rumors, you know? You were in enough rumors. And, and like, what is the contract going to look like? And what happens if he gets hurt? The Gary Trent piece is very interesting, too, because I just I don't see a scenario where Trent coming back on a long-term deal is a good idea for this Raptors team unless they can get him on something that's very friendly but that, that fits the, the whole um, new television contract thing coming in. But, yeah, like this has always sort of been my thing with the Raptors is it's so tough because they're clearly one great player away like, a really good player away from being a contender. Like, they're just right there. I think Siakam is awesome, but he's yep. just that one little notch below. If you had another Siakam-level player even, I think you'd be a contender, right? Like, you had another Siakam-level guy, you would be there. And sometimes we squint, we look at OG and say, could you ever get there? Like, could you get there? And then it doesn't seem like quite you're going to be able to get there. And for Scotty Barnes, expecting him to get there on that timeline is, is really a difficult proposition for someone who came into the NBA, we all forget, as... Uh, a player who is viewed as a bit of a project, you know? So you have Raptors fans and Raptors observers who look at this team and they can see it. They can see the formula of just get there. You're so, so close. It's just can you parlay one of those pieces into getting um, someone who is great without fracturing or changing too much about what this team is? And, and I think that Masai was the type of guy that's always going to be tempted by it. And, yeah, the the effect that that's going to have on the roster, I think the point is well made by you that maybe – it's not always going to be harmonious, especially if, you know, there are some rocky moments in, in the season. I just, I don't think there will be. And I, I think we're, yeah. what we're going to see is actually just basically a, a complete repeat of what we saw last year. Well, the, but the secondary storyline is um, these guys do need contracts. And Fred Van Vliet is like, he's, 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 one of, he's a franchise cornerstone. And, and like I said, Pascal Siakam, uh, potentially eligible for the Supermax. Uh, Joe Lacob is paying... I, I saw the, the stat today that Joe Lacob paid $500 million for the Warriors like 10 years ago, and his his bill, including luxury tax and payroll, is just about that for this yeah. season. But that's fine, because his team wins championships, right? And they just won one. Yeah, they win are you over <laughs> and over and over again. And also, uh, yeah, he's made his money back on the state. Like, he's, he's no made, he's, guess what? He's doing fine financially. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's, I think he's doing all right. He's not, he's not yeah. sweating his money. No, but Rodgers and Bell didn't get rich by mm. throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at a Raptors team that is good but not great like are you really gonna like pay Fred Van Vliet 100 plus million dollars and Pascal Siakam 300 million dollars this offseason for a team that again wins 48 games and is good and wins around and maybe pushes a team to a, a seventh game like that's no either you're a championship contender and then yeah you you're well justified in paying well into the luxury tax or you're not and you you're pivoting uh, we got to run, but before you go, you you changed to today. You were supposed to do tomorrow because of a dental hygienist appointment and I dentist whatever. Uh, do you still at age forty lie to your dentist and hygienist about what 100%, you do? Hundred yeah, percent. I can too. tell you. I that don't know why I do it, but I do. No, so like it's it's nine months between uh, dentist appointments on our on our dental plan, which is I don't know. It's like, it's, it's no, like I ghetto. That's, no, I, I actually have to. I get my teeth cleaned every six months. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that our 
plan is only supposed to cover every six months no, I get, or every well, nine months. Here's the thing. Well, I, get, I definitely get them every six months, and the reason for that is because I don't floss. And so she, my hygienist goes, I'd like to see you in here every six months. And I go, ah, I'm flossing. And, and every time I go in there with, I, it's better, right? And she's like, yeah, sure. Like, oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. It's, no, I, I literally have not flossed one single time in the last nine months. So I'll worst. be definitely lying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck on your lies. Uh, I support your Thank lies. You. I endorse your lies. Uh, as a fellow liar to another in the dentist chair, um, may you never get old and mature and actually tell the truth. Like I, my teeth could be rotting out of my skull and they'd be falling out black like uh, the Game of Thrones new show guy. And he'd be like, it's yeah. fine for us to lie. It's just that, yeah, we don't need your lying dentist. Like, I hope my, my dentist doesn't lie and say I need 100 cavities yeah. filled when my teeth are actually fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a tough one. That was a tough look for me. Uh, ben Ennis, this was a good hour. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review, only if it's five stars, of course. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week, buddy. Thanks for making time. Uh, when we come All back, right, quick break, quick break. And then two of uh, my absolute favorites, Vivek Jacob, Blake Murphy. Um, I have very many questions for them about this Raptors season. That's next on the JD Bunkers podcast. Raptors season tonight. There's actually like some really fun games on the slate. My Orlando Magic, one of my top five league pass teams. I'm all in on the Magic this year. This is a breakthrough. Magic are like three and a half point dogs. And I looked at that. I knew I'm a Magic guy this year because I was offended. I went to the Pistons. No. The number one pick bull. Uh, can't wait. But yeah, Raptors tonight, Raptors tonight. Uh, who better to talk about it with? With uh, Blake Murphy. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, buddy. And Vivek Jacob, both in studio. Thank you for coming in, fellas. Uh, so much better being here, you know? Let's uh, wait. We have Vivek's mic on? Yep, now got it. That red light on. Um, so First time? Yeah, First in, time the in the studio. Yeah, in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, man, I, I love this studio. Like, this studio is the bomb. I've been trying to get over here for years. Like, they built this thing, and then they just left it. They went, eh, I don't really love it. Which I I really respect for um, places that have a lot of money that they can just do that where they go, eh, you know what? We tried it. Didn't work. Who cares? I'm like, awesome. I was in the new hockey studio yesterday for the first I time saw, ever. You stunted. You and Cabby. I saw your shoes. You yeah. planned that. You planned that. You were yeah. like, yeah. Those were supposed to be Blue Jays playoff shoes. Those are like the Blue Jay color Jays. I know you. I've never seen those sneakers before. Those are brand new. Those are getting They're not brand new. Brand? I wore them at game two of the Jays series trying to. So I wore I like it's like, they're oh, not brand wow. new. They're, I wore them the one time. time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you've seen my shoe Sorry, closet. There's a lot going on in there. Sorry, dude. I wore the old Kyle Lowry Adidas PEs to game one of the Jays series thinking like, oh, I'll bring championship energy. Energy, mm-hmm. And I accidentally brought Raptors, Raptors game, game one, one energy. energy. Yeah. yeah. So that's on me. This yeah. is why they bumped me back to talking about God. basketball now. Uh, well. I'm just now frustrated thinking back to uh, that Raptor or sorry, that Blue Jays first game and just feeling like, yeah, Toronto. That if there is one thing about Toronto right now, it's like the first game thing is very real. Like that's just oh, a, yeah. that's this is now officially a, a real, real, real thing. And um, they ate one. 
You got 8-1 with the Blue Jays. You got 8-1 with Kobe. I, I like that the Leafs are just sitting there like, how can we top all of this? Like six yeah. in a row in the first round. Yeah, that's one thing, but we, we can we can do worse. See, I feel like this is going to be the ultimate zag season for the Leafs where they actually finally do it, where everyone hates their guts all year long. They limp into the playoffs and then just somehow they get this done. And that, you know, everyone loved the Blue Jays. They collapsed. Uh, I don't think the Raptors collapsed last year. It was a weird playoffs because the expectations were low and everyone, you know, I think the Scotty Barnes thing changed the math on what people wanted. And then Siakam just turns into a ball of flames later in the series and go, what would this have been like had you been this from game one? Like what, what happens if you're this guy from game one forward? Anyways, we'll get into a bunch of, uh, we'll get into a bunch of these questions, but. Before we do that, you have something for me. What do you got? Yeah. I, I know it's already, you know, something that is going to, uh, is it going to upset me? You have no. A, well, it'll make you uncomfortable yeah, a little bit, yeah. but I wanted to start this season off mm-hmm. on a good note. I want to okay. start the basketball season and our season, JD, because mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll be on here a lot. Last year, when we were on the Fan Morning Show together, mm-hmm. we didn't get to do the Christmas gift exchange because we all went back to work from home. And mm-hmm. then when we did the makeup gift exchange, I forgot yours. Oh, yeah. I have it with me. It's <laughs> basketball related. It's good. So I thought it was uh, yeah. a good thing to bring out today. Absolutely. <laughs> Give it to me. Actually, yeah. No, Blake, this is literally, we all gave our gifts and then Blake went, oh, I forgot mine. It's like, okay. That's... No, look at how beat up it is. You can this tell. Is, I like how can... it's in the wrapping. Yeah. Like, do I got to open this right now? Yeah. Yeah. You know that I'm really awkward receiving gifts. Yes, right? I know. That's why yeah, uh, no, that's, that's really why I said it would be awkward. Oh, I already like what this. Got here? I think this is Sean Kemp shirt. It is. Nice. This is really great. Do you know, I'm really for the first time very optimistic. This is actually great. Yeah, you uh, can tell you can also tell that I legit bought it last Christmas because look yeah, at how wrinkly look, it is. <laughs> look at how beat like, up the I don't think paper even, is. I don't know how many times I'll have to wash this before it actually like gets those wrinkles out. Like I, I think that's a lot. Um, I'm for the first time in my life, like actually really optimistic, like letting myself get optimistic about the Seattle thing. It's like, happening. Yeah, it's happening. I just don't know. This is my fear. And I didn't expect to start the Raptors season preview with this. I think I'm too deep in the Raptors now to go back. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to feel. I know, uh, it's going to be very emotional when Seattle returns because I'd always had this thing. My dad and I always had this thing of, Hey, no matter what, when Sonics return, we're going to pay for those games. Like we're going to be in the seats for those games. So I'll definitely be thinking about that when they have like the ceremonies, but that, that was a real sports changing for me moment. The Sonics leaving like my boyhood team leaving and just the realities of what this is. And like, you know, for some people it's their favorite player leaves, Mm -hmm. right? That one was completely different. Like it took me, I had a whole year off of the NBA. I missed the Kobe game because I just wouldn't watch basketball when they were leaving. Ariel Hawani still wears his Expos hat everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And in his profile pic all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I don't know that it you ever give you. up that ghost. Yeah. No, I, I, th- I don't think you ever give it up. I just, like I've become so, I always liked the Raptors, right? Like they were always a second team. I still remember uh, the famous Vince Carter game where he told Richard Lewis the play, right? <laughs> And I remember watching those games, even as a kid, going, who is more likely to win this year? That would be kind of who I would be rooting for. Like, especially as the Raptors started to have Vince and they became like the cool team, right? And they just, they had their real moment. Like, I remember when losing to the Sixers and being like really sad. And they got a lot of pickup even where I lived up in the Yukon. But um, I just, I just don't know if the investment will ever be the same. I, I hope it comes back in some way. But now again, like, I grew up a fan of lots of teams. Like my parents liked the Celtics. I grew up loving the Shaq Orlando teams. That's why like, I'm kind of like, let's go Orlando. Let's do this thing. When they bring back, whenever they wear the pinstripes, I'm like, this is the time. Like, do it. Let's go Orlando. 
Uh, like, I don't know. And now just Raptors. But uh, I, I have a fondness for the Sonics, too. So yeah. I, Ray Allen Sonics jersey was the first jersey I ever had. You grew up in the 90s. You liked the Sonics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, they were terrific on NBA Live 04. I just yeah. brought the roster up right here for, for <laughs> PS2. You get Ray Allen, Brent Barry to space the floor. Rashard Lewis was a monster in those games because, like, he was the what if you just dunked and took threes yeah. guy? Like, yeah. he was a Daryl Morey built guy, but in the in the <laughs> early 2000s. No, the, those Sonics, like, yeah, the 90s Sonics, I think, resonated with a lot of people and Seattle just had a moment in sports anyways like mm-hmm. they had Griffey and then they had those Sonics so it's like they're very like it's coming back Nirvana. around though. yeah they, they got they Julio just... now they're gonna get the they're gonna get the Sonics back <laughs> the 90s let's they, not talk about the Seahawks no, part of that but... no that's the best part are you kidding Russell Wilson like this is literally <laughs> this is what's carrying me through being a sports fan right now is rooting against Russell Wilson all right now the Raptors are here yeah. um can you guys still trust Masai after waving Gabe Brown <laughs> yeah, that was the plan all along. Okay, yeah. He's, he's down with 905. I, I got a lot of Gabe Brown texts from Raptors people before the season started. Oh, and then all of a sudden it just went out like a whisper like, oh, Gabe Brown is gone? Uh, I was like, wait, no, Gabe Brown? I told Brown? everyone that this Ra- was going to happen. Okay, all right. You he's didn't down tell me. There. Yeah. yeah, he's down with the 905. 905 put yeah. quite the roster together. All right. They got yeah, Saban Lee at it's, the buzzer. That's going to be a fun team. Yeah. You guys, I love this so much. Draft I to, on Saturday. <laughs> well, I have to watch so many sports, right? Like, I have to watch so many games that 905 to me, like, when someone's like, you got to watch the 905 game, I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, do you know what I'm doing every night? <laughs> <laughs> I have four games lined up. I'm watching 905. And Blake will send me updates sometimes. He'll text me, like, hey, especially when we were doing the show together. He'd be like, hey, if we have five minutes for this 905 thing, I was like, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do not, sir. We do not. Okay. The Monday after the Super Bowl. It's hey, like, yeah, when, well, Justin Champagne. When Christian Coloco has that 12 block game with the 905. I am excited for him. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I actually have like a, I, I've bought some Christian Coloco stock. I believe yeah. it. Like I believe yeah. in that. I do my annual like 905 mm-hmm. preview and it's usually just like kind of, you know, like a 10 things of what to look for for 905. Mm-hmm. It, Christian Coloco, G League Defense Player of the Year is going to be on there this year. Yeah. I think what's exciting about him is a lot of times when we look at young prospects and you you don't see the can't teach stuff right away, you put a ceiling on them, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's no way they're going to get to X level. And you already see some of the can't teach stuff. And so it's like, hey, can he learn the teachable stuff? And then you've really got something. I If there's one thing that I still do trust the Raptors for, it's t- doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, Malachi Flynn aside. Uh, <laughs> got it, just got it through. Wow. Turn your back on the Pacific Northwest right away. <laughs> no, but, Start off with all this. Uh, if you don't think up. the Sonics are picking him in the expansion draft mm, three, yeah. four, five years from now. I've always fantasized about, you know, if Seattle did come back, how many like guys from Seattle that they would target. And again, uh, there is something to me in my magic love with uh, Paolo. Right? Ja- Jamal so, Crawford might coach that team. If if they do that, then they should bring him back. Okay, I got to stop talking about Seattle stuff. People are losing their minds. They're, <laughs> like, hey, they're like, hey, yeah, dude, we get it. You liked the Sonics when you were a child. Um, okay, so I'm actually going to start with just something that's like right in front of us before we get into some of the Raptors' bigger picture questions is um, they're starting the season pretty banged up. And they're starting the season with Boucher as questionable. I don't know if you guys have any ins- uh, like scoop on whether or not he's, he's doubtful. He's doubtful. I don't think doubtful now. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't imagine that he was going to play given the nature of the injury. Um, Otto Porter Jr. misses the entire preseason. Um, Ken Birch, whatever. Like, I, I'll throw him in there. Your for, favorite Raptor. Yeah, my favorite. Yeah, the best contract that's, that the Raptors ever gave out. Um, but the two guys in particular, Porter Jr. and Boucher, like, those two guys can shoot. Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions, like, I had for you guys, like, before even I really thought I was going to get into these injuries was um, the preseason shooting woes. Like, how 
much of a red flag this is for a team that wants to shoot the ball. Starting the year with these two guys injured the way that they are, Otto Porter Jr. hasn't exactly been Mr. Health throughout his career. And Boucher, as a his injury history is like a weird one from college, but even still, like he's just got a different body that I don't think that you want to push. That's why I assumed that he was going to be out here. Kind How, of been an Iron Man, though. Yeah, he has been. He has been. Um, are you concerned with the lack of shooting depth and how much do these early season injuries impact that for you? Vivek, I'll start with you. I think on paper, you would say that they have just about an adequate amount of shooting. And so when you take these injuries in with Boucher out, with Otto Porter out, and, you you know, you talked about Gabe Brown. I think part of why people loved him so much was like, oh, here's a shooter. Yeah. And so now when these guys are missing, you're like, okay, you don't have the adequate spacing on the floor. When you look at Nick Nurse's comments about, hey, we want to get to the rim more, we want to get to the free throw line more, they don't have someone that can necessarily, you know, create that dribble penetration and really puncture the paint. Mm -hmm. So how else do you get by it? You create enough spacing on the floor to open up those gaps. And so right now when you look at the floor, what they're going to have, you don't like their chances because – Pascal Siakam is yet to be proven as, you know, someone uh, that can be a non-corner shooter. Uh, Scotty Barnes, that's a question mark. Precious Achua, we have to see if that carries over from what he showed in the second half of last season. So once again, you're relying on OG Ananobi being healthy, Fred Van Vliet being healthy, Gary Trent Jr., and that's it. When you've just got three real knockdown shooters, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm curious to see what like the bench lineups especially look like when they start to like pull one or two of those guys out of the lineup. And we're going to get the answer right away because Cleveland yeah. with those dual seven-footers, mm-hmm. the rim is off limits. The Raptors don't do a great job getting to the rim as a team in general, but that's going to be especially off limits uh, against a team like Cleveland. You fast forward a little bit to games three and four against Miami. Well, what have we seen every single time Toronto plays Miami over the last couple of years? Zone, 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 mm-hmm. zone. It's going to be a ton of zone until they can show they can beat it. Now, the one thing that maybe gives you some confidence is that the top six players from last year in terms of minutes played are all back and healthy. And those six shot 36.5% on threes over the the six of them. That's not as high as you'd like for your six highest minute guys. But I, I, I bring it up to just say... They know how to play with any combination of those six. So I think their core lineups should probably be fine. But yeah, some of the half-court offense stuff that we've talked about for two years now, it seems like. And Delano Banton looked great in camp, but I don't know that that's going to be a a big step forward in terms of half-court creation just yet. Yeah, they're going to struggle to score, especially with those second units. Okay, so this is kind of, I guess, brings me into um, now the bigger picture stuff, right? Because... The, the lack of shooting on the team, especially coming out of the gate or having the spot-up shooters, I couldn't help but think about. So if you ask most Raptors fans, hey, what do you want to see this year? I still don't think that the winning a championship is the, the goal. And, and, like, we can talk about that, too, like what the actual expectations for you guys. But most people would say the development of Scotty Barnes, right? Like, that's just it, is people view him as what what can you be? Can you be one of the great players in the game? And... Um, we oftentimes look at sports and say progress should be linear, even though it isn't always like if he does take a step back, I don't think people will panic in this fan base as much, but it would be, that would make the season a lot of a tougher pill to swallow. If Scotty Barnes didn't show progress or in worst case scenario, he looked like he's regressing a little bit, but he's such a good passer. And that's all I could think about is for a guy with his playmaking ability and his size and his ability to actually get to the rim. Don't you want to have a team that is a little bit closer to what we always talk about with LeBron? Not to do he's LeBron comparisons, but surround him with shooters. 
because you want him to be able to get to the basket and then kick it out and, and have guys that can knock down shots. And now that I'm sort of looking at this roster and the fact that like they didn't really end up getting a lot, like they didn't add any guard help. They have two guys who can shoot that are hurt. I, I do wonder how the roster construction could potentially impact that part of his development. Yeah, I think it's a, a reasonable question, and they would probably say, "Well, Wancho's there as bench shooting as well, thirty-five percent career three-point shooter." Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Now, <laughs> I didn't that I didn't expect the Wancho reference to come this early as the key <laughs> piece I, of I'm saying, like, if you ask Nick Nurse yeah. today before the game, yeah. hey, how are you going to account for no Porter and no Boucher? He would say Wancho Hernan Gomez. Like mm. we heard that a lot in camp, especially in the later parts of camp once Boucher got injured as well. So, mm. um, the the actual answer though is that. I think that they see this offense and, and sure best case scenario, Scotty Barnes is way better. Pascal Siakam's knocking down the above the break threes more and everything works, but 50th percent that like average outcome, what this offense is going to be in the half court is okay. We create a small advantage here. And then the next guy is able to turn that at small advantage into a slightly bigger advantage for the next guy. And then he's able to turn that into a slightly bigger advantage for the next guy. So that kind of drive kick swing stuff is designed to create more open looks than you would otherwise have. Um, I also think if the ball's in the hands of Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, and Gary Trent as your spacers or your guys moving off the ball is not that bad. Yep. That's that's three pretty good shooters. That's so, actually pretty nice. Yeah. So but that it, also it's requires just a Pascal of, to be playing more off the ball. Yes. Or or one of those guys, and I think Scotty Barnes is the answer there, to be used as a screener more often mm. because then you're at least in the action and, and you don't hurt the spacing that way. That's something I want to see more of anyway. V, I, I'm curious um, – because you could make a case for, oh, Barnes should screen more or it should be OG screening more since he's, you know, the best screener of the group or even Pascal because they've had success with that. But someone's got to do it because there's not a center here still. And frankly, I throw Fred Van Vliet into that mix as well mm-hmm. because he's a good screener. And mm-hmm. I think the thing I look at with the Raptors offense last year and I want to see kind of change this season is the Raptors were obviously isolation heavy. It was like, hey, where's the mismatch? Let's go attack that mismatch. And when you don't run as many pick and rolls as you should, you know, you think about Steve Kerr with the Warriors, his reasoning for that was like, hey, I don't want to take away from the ball movement that this team has. But in the Raptors case, if you're so isolation heavy and you're not that effective at it, then you need the ball movement. You need the pick and roll action. And so that's where, to Blake's point, you need the, the screening to come through for this team. You need Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi. I mean, you think back to the bubble, right? When OG was playing the five uh, against the Celtics and he was used in that screening action with Kyle Lowry, that was really effective for mm-hmm. him. And so those are the types of opportunities that I want to see this season. OG at the five has also been one of their better counters to that heat zone that I mentioned that yep. they've seen a lot of is OG because we talk about Scotty Barnes and Pascal's playmakers. OG's got some pretty good passing instincts too. His ability to flash into that middle area and pass out of it, I think he could be a decent passer as a screener as well, like roll and roll and kick. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how all that comes together. Cause JD, you're right. Like on, on paper, like five versus five, there's not a lot of space and not a lot of natural ability to get to the rim, which if those two things are true, that means that's a lot of, uh, a lot of mid range and floater range stuff. But this is why I think Scotty Barnes being the, the fulcrum of the takes is so fascinating for mm-hmm. this team. Because again, if he can be your most dominant player on the ball, then all the pieces around him, especially as like different starting combinations, like really work. Yeah. It's when Scotty's off the ball and he's not, you know, a screen and roll player 
Like, how does he sort of factor into this offense? Yeah, that, hanging out in the dunker, kind of doing yeah, the Rondé Hollis Jefferson like, stuff. That that feels a little bit more murky to me. But and then you look at it and go, all right, that sounds good on paper. But Siakam's an All NBA player. Like he absolutely deserves to be the the focal point of the offense. Still, like I know we all get excited about Scotty Barnes. <laughs> Pascal Siakam, those last couple playoff games last year, I went, maybe you, like, he had that quote about what, he wanted to be a top 10 player? Top five. Top five? Okay, yeah. I, I didn't want to say top five and get that wrong, but yeah. Top he's five. been all NBA two of the last three years. Man. It's not, it's, I he's not going to be a top five guy in terms of, like, do people talk about him as a top five guy? No. But for him to have one season where he gets some down ballot MVP votes or even sneaks onto a first team, no. I don't think that's that unrealistic. Dude, he's awesome. Siakam yeah. is a truly awesome player. Um, it sucked. That's what hurt so badly about watching him perform the way that he did out of the gate last year is because the foundation for him being a great player has never felt like very sturdy underneath him, right? Like, but when he has shown it, it's just, hey, you, you do have to ask questions like, where does he actually rank when he's at his best? Like, how many guys can do all the things that he does? Because, man, he has just, he has taken some incredible strides. And if there wasn't Kawhi in front of him as, and he didn't have that whole, like, succession plan thing, the narrative around him would be so different. Like it, it oftentimes feels like he gets, and this is not a shot at DeMar, but like people talk about him like he's DeMar. I'm like, he's way better than DeMar ever was. He's not in that class of player. Like he is closer to the Kawhi thing with Toronto. But I guess like where I'm going with this is Scotty as the focal point. It feels like it's too much too soon for him, but you also want to find out how much he can do because he's the great elevator of the ceiling of this team. And yet you've got Gary Trent Jr. who likes to handle the rock and he's also in a contract year. I don't know how he feels too much about being just like a spot up shooter or a secondary scorer off the bench. Fred likes to shoot uh, pull-ups. He likes to have the ball in his hand. Siakam. OG obviously clearly has always wanted a little bit more of a role carved out for him in the offense. I just, to me, this is sort of the, the hierarchy awesomeness of the Raptors that they have so many different options right that you don't want to play the whole well there's only one ball card but when it comes to the development of Scotty and try, trying to find out like what the true ceiling of the team is that sort of to me is the tricky balance that they're going to have to find still between how much of a, a Raptors team is this about development of this star player in waiting versus trying to continue to unlock a really good core around him that might want a lot more than that well the beauty of of these conversations is that Scotty has gotten to a level that we probably shouldn't have been having this conversation, right? That's hundred percent facts. The fact that we're right here, because if you looked at last season before we entered it, we were kind of thinking, okay, at some point, this is going to be Scotty's team. Do, do you have to choose between Scotty's iteration of the team or, you know, this Pascal Van Vliet uh, core and, you know, which one do you build around? Scotty grew up so fast that you could marry the two together. Mm -hmm. And so now you're saying, how do we make this work? And so you can look at Scotty kind of the same way you look at Pascal in terms of what the pieces need to be around them, right? You need solid to great three-point shooting around them at all times. And so with Scotty, if he can make those strides as a playmaker and, you know, we saw a bunch of plays where, he would attempt high-risk passes, right? And those are, those are encouraging in that he's seeing that. But if he understands now that, you know, that possession-by-possession possession value at the NBA level mm -hmm. and is just able to understand what his teammates are capable of as well. And the other side of this is Precious Achua. He's not someone that we've talked about a lot. But when we talk about screening value, mm -hmm. if he can become a greater rim threat, right, Forget about the three-point shooting for a second. He is 
one of the worst finishers at the rim uh, over his first two seasons. It's, of it's one of the painful, like when I go all in on my precious takes because I yeah. get very excited for precious, those numbers, that, that's the like number one, just take you out at one knee. Yeah. And so if he can be more of a lob threat, be more of a rim rolling threat, that is another thing that opens up space for Scotty. And we've seen that OG, Scotty, all these guys continue to work in the mid range. I know Nick Nurse has said that he wants to move away from that. But mm-hmm. those are the pressure release shots in the playoffs that make a huge difference. And I think that's part of why Precious showing us he can be a pick-and-pop guy from above the break is important too. I think this season is going to be a lot about how the Raptors find ways to stretch the floor vertically. Like, I, th- I think in the NBA at this point, like, we're at almost 40% of shots being three-point attempts. Mm-hmm. Everyone offensively and defensively has figured out, for the most part, the geometry horizontally of what this three-point shooting version of basketball looks like. But we're starting to see teams toy more with, and not just Steph Curry pulls up from 35, because there are so few Steph Currys, but how do you stretch the floor effectively vertically as well? So there is room for Scotty in that floater range for for that, you know, that package of hook shots and push shots he has. And I think Precious is a, is a part of that. I also think his development is tied to Scotty's because I think the best five-man unit the Raptors could start has precious in it, not Gary Trent Jr. I think I think Same. Trent yep. is kind of custom built for that bench gunner role, the Jordan Clarkson, the Tyler Hero kind of role, where it's hey, you have all the opportunity you want in bench units because we need your scoring so much. You can't really do that at 16, 20 minutes a game, precious in the starters, unless either he develops as a rim run threat and a spacer. Or Scotty Barnes really develops as an on-ball guy in the way that you were just talking about, JD. Yeah. So those two, we we talk Barnes and Siakam, Barnes and Siakam. There are 98 possessions in a game on average. You can get guys their touches. Oh, I'm not worried about those two guys. No, I, I know. I, and you're worried about the OGs or the, the Gary Trents. I, the way that the Raptors have handled managing winning and developing at the same time is basically... Say there's 98 possessions in a game. Say there's 100 to round it off. Mm-hmm. And there's 48 minutes in game. Well, the first 42 minutes of that game, we're trying to spread those around and we're focusing on development and you get your touches where you get your touches. And then those last six minutes, if the game's on the line, then it's optimized. Then it's win time only. And if you got to spot up while Siakam and Van Vliet do five pick and rolls in a row, that's the those are the breaks. So um, I do think there is a little bit of they've shown they can manage both sides of it and introduce a little bit of, well, if you don't like it, pitch better, yep. which you and I have talked a lot about around OG and Anobi. Which is awesome with OG. Um, with the two guys in particular, though, the, I don't worry about the balance of the Barnes-Siakam touches because to me, like, that's actually the, the championship formula mm-hmm. is having those two guys as, you, you know what I love. I love guys who can get to their spots. And that's the thing about Scotty that interests me almost more than anything is his physicality. Even you saw it in the playoff series last year, right? Game one where it's just this guy gets to where he wants to go. Yep. Um, in and fact, who, who has the defenders to guard two guys, six, exactly. nine, who can get to their spots? That's right? what makes them so unique is they have these two guys who can both handle the ball, who are at that size, and who can just get into the paint and cause real issues for you, force you to collapse, and that's why you'd love to see the shooters. And I do like it in you know a world where um, Van Vliet is taking shots or Gary Trent does that or Precious Chua can knock it down or you bring in a Boucher or a Porter Jr. and those guys can hit them outside of them. Like that to me is the formula that works. I think that it's two things. One, yeah, can you get Gary Trent Jr. to embrace that sort of secondary gunner role and not try to be a 
guy who feels like he has to be a starter and an initiator of the first units because that's been my issue with Gary Trent the entire time. He can obviously play. He can obviously shoot. He When he has buy-in, he's awesome. It's just that he sort of can be a funnel at times and take away from the Raptors. I think the other part of this, though, and this is the more interesting question I sort of have for you guys, like the Raptors didn't add a lot of point guard depth. It's one of, and by add a lot, I mean they added zero. <laughs> um, they did not add any point guard depth. The, the disrespect that Jeff Doughton <laughs> Jr. Yeah, okay. But... I do wonder if it's like the guy who has to sacrifice is not Pascal. It's not Scotty. In fact, maybe they still do need to find more for OG. The guy who needs to sacrifice when it comes to on-ball duties might have to be the only point guard they have. The true point guard they have is Fred and turning him to more of a shooting guard. And that's what they've talked about, right? Getting him more catch-and-shoot opportunities, playing. And that was something they discovered over the course of Fred being hurt in the second half of last season. It was getting Scotty Barnes more reps on ball, getting Pascal even more reps on ball. And uh, even OG can be put into that at times. And so I feel like those are the opportunities that you're going to have to look for and say, okay, Fred Van Vliet as a catch-and-shoot guy, Fred Van Vliet uh, defensively, Nick Nurse has talked about being able to replace that level of pick-and-roll defense. Good luck. <laughs> and, and so when you have someone like Fred who can apply that ball pressure, which is so central to what the Raptors want to do, can you have units that can mimic that to some extent and get Fred that rest when he needs it, get him down from the 38 minutes that he's been leading the league with uh, the last couple of seasons. And so I think it is important to, you know, effectively use him as a shooting guard. And then I think having Precious Achua in the starting lineup almost kind of lends to that because one of the things that if you want to sort of reverse engineer this a bit is you look at the defensive rebounding. That was a major sore spot for the Raptors last season. And so when you have that smaller five, which may be your most talented five, sure, they might have had a solid defensive rating, but their defensive rebounding rate was 69%. And that is not adequate from the lineup that is playing your most minutes. And so if you get Precious Achua in there, maybe it has to be something where Precious Achua makes it so glaring that he has to be a starter. And that's the challenge that Nick Nurse is issuing to him right now in saying, hey, you want this starting job? Make it clear as day that you are among the top five players in this team. And so Mm. that's what I'm looking to see. And once he steps into that, I think it aligns the roster better in terms of getting the needs out of the starting five as well as getting the needs out of the bench in terms of Gary in that shooter role. Yeah, and the the sell on Trent is twofold. One is Tyler Hero just got four years, 130 million. Uh, that's you're you're not Tyler Hero, He's but like, hey, someone got a bad contract. <laughs> okay, like, but that, lots of guys get bad contracts. Although it'll be fine with the new money, I, I know, but it just yeah. I saw that Tyler Hero contract. Pardon me. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, don't yeah. I don't want Gary Trent on that contract. Okay, but <laughs> I'm saying that's the sales job to him. Is like, look, this guy just won six man of the year, and he doesn't get asked to do much other than score. But in the also, second wasn't unit. the part of him being happy giving him that contract because he didn't like that role? Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, like Tyler yeah. Hero was pretty open in his uh, yeah but you know what guys care that. about more than any of that stuff money yeah, that's what yeah. i'm saying the money oh, yeah. <laughs> um and the other thing with gary trent is he's uh if you're worried about him opting out after the year which you should be mm-hmm. uh well then not to be kind of cold about this but he is the guy who should 
whose role should sacrifice or touches should but, sacrifice because but the question was fred though too right, right. it's like and fred, what, do you think he'll do that yeah do you think we'll see I, I a lot think... less fred with the ball in his hands this year because to me that's that is a huge question about trying to unlock this yeah. new version of the raptors and also keep fred healthy i do i and i think fred is smart enough to understand first of all the the fatigue conservation for mm-hmm. for him to keep him healthier. And he admitted after last season, he stopped listening to his body because the team needed him so badly. And I think that that's a good lesson for him to have learned. I think he's also smart in the sense that he knows his three point percentage will go up. If he's taking more catch and shoot stuff instead of, mm-hmm. instead of pull up stuff. I think he also knows that what's good for the team is good for him. Not only because everyone talks like the Raptors are going to eventually take care of him, but say he does hit free agency He's had a 50-point game. He's been an all-star. He's averaged 20. The biggest thing Fred is going to have going for him on the market is I help you win. I drive winning. So whatever the Raptors do, as long as 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 it's, you know, his net ratings up there or his on-offs are up there, as long as the Raptors are winning, I think he understands that that's his path to a payday anyway. I think that's an important thing where it's like – what's the itch that Fred is trying to scratch? And so he's got that 50-point game. He's got the all-star. I think the all-defense team really matters to him this season. And I think if if you make the sell that, hey, you're going to get these catch-and-shoot opportunities, you're going to be off-ball more, you're going to have more energy to give on the defensive end, I honestly think if he didn't tail off the way he did in the second half of the season, he would have made the all-defensive team. Yeah, I think so too. There There was a real moment of buzz of just, hey, uh, like from national NBA media, which here in Toronto, we just crave it so much. Oh my God, please just kids. But there was a real moment where the national media went, hey, you know who's pretty good on defense is actually Fred Van Fleet. And everyone in Toronto went, yeah, we've been dying for this for years. Open up your wallet. Mm-hmm. Fred Van Vliet to lead the league in steals per game is plus 1600. I know it's a kind of random stat and he gets the like blocks. He gets well, those, that's the problem. those strip steals that get yeah. scored as blocks because a guy is in the motion of shooting. And then you have to worry about, does he get enough games to qualify and all that's, that stuff? That's the but one for plus me. Plus 1600 though. Yeah, that's tempting. The, the, for sure. It's, it's tempting. I just, there's two questions I have. One is, can they actually load manage Fred where they sit him in games? Like, would he ever accept that? Because I think what, the, when we're talking about the sacrifice stuff, I actually think that it is harder for Gary Trent because he can see the upside of a potential Tyler Hero contract. Mm-hmm. For Fred, his value is set. Like, he's he's getting money from the Raptors. Like, it, he would have to become a double amputee for them to be like, yeah, listen, we can't give you that $100 million that you want. I think that the new NBA money, too, like, the, the story that maybe is a little under-discussed with it is that guys probably don't feel as much urgency with, hey, um... Can I get paid when there are contracts that are sitting out there where everyone's going, we, we don't know what the hell guys are going to make. Like, it's it's going to get lunatic levels in terms of how much you guys are going to make. So if you can just shoot a three in the NBA, it's like, <laughs> you're good. Like, you'll be fine. Mozgov. Yeah. Every player in the league <laughs> no, is going to be like, well, the last time the TV spiked, Mozgov oh, got yeah, 65 it, or 70 exactly. million. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's going to be exactly that moment. So I don't think that I'm worried from, like, a guy's looking at their next. was in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that it, was the year after. Yeah, the year okay, after. But right. even still, yeah. he was one of those contracts that everyone looked at and went, oh, my God. And I think we're going to be doing a lot of that over the next couple of years. So I'm not so much worried about the money sacrifice. I I love the thing about what itch is he trying to scratch? Mm -hmm. Because I think that if he still wants to be kind of like the on ball, I'm the commander of the ship guy, that's actually not going to be the ultimate upside for the Raps. I think what they have to find out is, can they have their two on ball guys be Pascal and Scotty? And can everyone else find a 
the proper way of orbiting them from an offensive standpoint. Defensively, like, I don't know how you could really have a worry. Like, I'm not even really bringing up defense because they have a brilliant tactician. They've got a roster full of awesome guys. The rebounding is great. It actually was going to be my first rapid fire question was, do they have enough size? And I think we can kind of definitively say no. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> no it's like, it's, it's not a, like maybe Coloco comes up here and gives them some minutes later in the year. But I don't, I think, again, that's a really tough proposition to make. But the tough thing is like, yeah. they have size, they have terrific size two yeah. through four, sometimes one through four. If Fred's not the point guard. But those guys don't win the re- like. If you were to line up one, Sucks two, three, OG four, five, lost two inches off his height this offseason. <laughs> yeah. that was a tough one. He gained like twenty pounds and he lost two inches of yeah. height. Me too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if you lined up like point guard, shooting guard, so every position, and it's like okay, we're gonna lose the rebounding battle at center. Obviously, mm-hmm. you got to win it at every other spot, and Fred's the only guy that does that consistently mm-hmm. at the point guard spot. So you know, Gary Trent doesn't really grab rebounds at all. OG is probably at this point, I think we could say a below average rebounder for yep. what he should be for his size and strength. Some of that's that he's guarding yeah, the guy at the top to of the be. floor a lot of the time. But as a team, you got to win more of those battles than just the center position. Oh. 24th in defensive rebound rate last year. No, you, you can't bad. you can't expect to be the top five defense that this Raptors team hopes to be and was down the stretch last mm-hmm. year. Like doing that while giving up so many second chances is just I mean, first of all, it's psychologically exhausting, but it's also like statistically unlikely. Well, the psychological part of it is huge. Like, I think you would always get the double punch to the gut with the Raptors where it's like, oh, they need this three and it's someone you don't really trust from the outside shooting it and it's a brick. And then you come down the other end and it's like they need this stop. They get the stop and they give up the offensive rebound. And it's Mm -hmm. those are the possessions that over the course of a season add up and you're feeling the weight of it. You're feeling the burden on these players physically. And so I think... If you get that release valve more often, it's going to speak to more success. It's weird, though. I just, I don't really have a lot of faith in it improving. Um, That's fair. I, I, I just, I don't really see what the formula is now for the defensive rebounding to have some massive uptick. Like, it's just, and especially when you come into the year and one of your bigs is hurt and, or sorry, two of your bigs are hurt. Like, that Ken Birch is out and Boucher is out and... I still think the offensive rebounding can be special because you just see how active they are and how they crash the glass and how awesome that is. And it's funny because their defensive rebounding is so trash last year. And then you look at them offensively and there'd be those same possessions for them where you would go, I think they have like three in a row. But it's the same logic though, right? Is on defense, they don't defensive rebound as well because they're all over the place everywhere. Yeah. And because they value transition opportunities so much. So if you have three guys crack back to to crash the defensive glass, and that forces you to punt the transition opportunity. The Raptors, I think, would rather gamble on that transition opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, they're still flying around and crashing, and they just trust their guys to get back in defense. So it's the same kind of strengths and weaknesses that lead them to play that way. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those, there's a weird dissonance there, you're right, that they're so good on the offensive glass and so poor on the defensive glass. I don't know that it's going to change to an extreme no. amount. Um, except for this. Um, and I'm going to lead my, I'm going to do a quick break, a little short break, and then a rapid fire segment with you guys. Um, are we sure OG is going to be as much of a perimeter defender when he weighs 250 plus pounds? And that maybe part of his uh, addition was to uh, rebound a little bit more. Maybe he's going to be down in the paint and maybe there's a little bit more, more OG at the five. All right, Raptors rapid fire with Blake Murphy and Vivek Jacob next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. 
Uh, J.D. Bungus podcast, Vivek Jacob, Blake Murphy in studio, Raptors rapid fire in a second, but first, it's time for action, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. you got to be 19-plus, Ontario only. Please play responsibly. So, quick Thursday night football pick. Um, Arizona Cardinals, uh, they are a disaster. It's hilarious looking at all the money that they have tied into their GM, their head coach, and their quarterback when um, I'm not sure any of them are good. But I still am going to lay the points and take them on the short week. Uh, I just like that Hopkins is back. And to me, this is like a, I'm a big time believer in when do you need to have it games. And and I think this is a need to have a game for the Cardinals. So if I'm playing a prop tomorrow, it's probably going to involve Hopkins. I think he's probably going to get in the end zone. He's going to be heavily involved, especially now with no Marquise Brown. But yeah, I just, I think that they're going to find a way to win this game. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm riding with a team that I was laughing at on Sunday uh, who couldn't score a touchdown. By the way, for the second straight time, they didn't score a touchdown. I'm laying two and a half points. Might be a bad bet, uh, but I'm red hot. So we can't really hate on it. That was Time for Action presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Okay, Blake and Vivek. Um, Raptors rapid fire. Um, let's start with this. Is it a good idea for a guy who's always hurt to add maybe 20 pounds in OG and Anobi? And yeah, uh, is, is he becoming a center? Maybe. I think we got to see it play out, right? Yeah. What, what is the purpose of the weight gain? And so if it's sort of looking at some of the injuries he's had and saying, hey, we need to strengthen your lower half and uh, just reduce the risk of injury, then I think that could be one thing. If it's, hey, we need you to play the five a lot more, then... I don't know how much, how strongly I feel about that because when you look at OG's history, and I know we're doing a rapid fire, but when you look at OG's history, his strengths have been accentuated when he's playing the three, when he's playing the two, when he can actually take advantage of his strength. So Mm -hmm. when you put him up against other fours, other fives, you kind of see that taken away. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I like it. I, uh, I've i always, like, of the small ball options, I've always, you know this, like the Raptors will tweet out their lineups and list Siakam as the center um, yeah, or a, someone a, else. And then, and then I always put OG as the center because yeah. I'm like, no, watch it's the like game. The Tim Duncan what, what? Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I like it. I think, yeah, there's the element of keeping you healthy for the, for the entire season with that extra cushioning. There's also some guys have a lot of trouble keeping weight on over the course of the season. And I could see that being a problem with OG where maybe he's not the same size and strength by the end of 82. Uh, I'm, I'm for it. I, more more thick-jacked guys. I, I'm okay yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm a wrestling fan. Give me, yeah. give me more. <laughs> I was going to say that's your credo, more yeah. thick-jacked guys. Um, I, I'm excited about it. When I saw it, I had the same thought. Obviously, everyone's favorite OG moment is the three against Boston in the bubble, but I think actually sneakily one of mine is the way he defended Jokic mm-hmm. uh, and how fun that was. Oh, I was at that game. He had like six steals in that game yeah, it too, was right? just Yeah, and he, oh, he was just breaking it. He was everywhere. It was just, it, I, I remember thinking, okay, so this guy is the free safety who can cover and thump. You know, he's Cam Chancellor. I love Cam Chancellor. I love OG and Anobi. Um I just wonder if staying healthy and adding, like, being 252. Could help, though. It it depends on... I guess. Because, like, a lot of his injuries have been random. So, like, maybe this, you know, the extra... I just... It it has a little Anthony Davis last year vibes to me. Uh, That's just it. Um, Okay. Will the Raptors make a major trade this season? Depends on your definition of major. But I would say one of the Corsics are gone by the deadline. That I like core I know, but as like, yeah, but like, like that count. I, but like, I wasn't talking about no, will they dump Kem Birch? Like, no, was, um, 
Yeah. I just mean like, like I don't know. Is is They're flipping make... Gary Trent at the deadline a major move to you yes, if it doesn't it bring back a star? Okay, then yes. Yeah, I, I think that basically what it's coming down to pretty clearly to me if it's an in-season trade is uh, basically the question could almost be reframed as because they're not trading Fred. They're not trading Pascal. They're not trading Scotty. Like none of that's happening in season. I think the question is, could they, is there a scenario to either of you guys where they trade one of OG or Gary Trent in season? Yes, there is, but I'm going to go with no. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's going against the grain, but I feel like the Raptors have a history of trading players when they're at their peak value. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Gary Trent Jr., I still feel like there's more uh, to get uh, with OG. I think there's more to get. And mm-hmm. so when I talk about that history, you, you look at Norman Powell, max value, DeMar DeRozan, max value, Terrence Ross, max value. And so those are the guys I kind of look at and say, I think the Raptors will keep it going. I'd argue, though, that the Norman Powell situation is actually really similar to the Gary Trent one, where that value is coming by the trade deadline. You've probably built Gary Trent up more, and then you're about to have to pay for that. So can you exchange that for something that's a little cheaper, a little better, or a little more long-term? And and it, this is not a shot at Gary Trent. It's just how you're going to have to build the roster out as Siakam and Van Vliet and Ananobi all come up toward next deals. I don't know that like turning Gary Trent into a slightly worse player who's slightly cheaper and under contract longer is like all that bad a thing. Like it's yeah. very similar to the norm situation to me. Yeah. Um, here's also the thing. Uh, and this was also in the rapid fire. What do you think the Malcolm Brogdon trade was? Because it sure feels to me like it was Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. It almost would have had to been <laughs> yeah. Yeah, salary like... wise. Now it's, it's a hard one because the actual trade was like five guys who don't matter to make the salary work and two first round picks. And I don't know. I don't think that was it. Like, first of all, the Raptors didn't have two 2023 firsts to offer. They would have had to offer like 23 and 25. Who knows if Indiana would have been getting that. They weren't doing that. But the the money was just like, like the players or money was just, here's a bunch of guys to make it work. And so basically it was two first round picks for Brogdon. I don't think that was it. No, that was that was the Boston deal. Yeah. Like that is what they gave up. I know, but I just I don't think the Raptors are offering two first round picks for Brogdon. That just doesn't feel like a Maasai move to me. I think it was hey, would you like Gary Trent and maybe another piece? That just felt yeah. like to me when I, that, when I, Malcolm Brogdon revealed that, mm-hmm. I went, first of all, this is how we break the cone of Raptor silence. As we start asking different <laughs> players around the league, like, hey, were you here? Because this is the best inside report that we've gotten on the Raptors in like the last five years. But it made anyway. sense, right? Like, I think you and I even talked about it before, like heading yeah. into the off season of like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a guy who could. Oh, it definitely made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I just, this kind of... <sighs> I think there's been enough smoke around OG and now that trade, the Malcolm Brogdon thing, that to me, Masai's never going to make a itchy trigger finger trade, right? That's just not who he is. He's always going to remain patient. He likes to win deals. But to me, it's it's pretty clear that through all of the smoke that those two guys are at least available. Mm-hmm. And, and I do wonder at what point does it become a little bit more aggressive or could it become more aggressive from his standpoint? Um, will Pascal Siakam make another All-NBA team? And if so, which? He won't make an all-NBA team. He will be an all-star. He will be an Mm -hmm. all-NBA caliber player. But Mm -hmm. I think with Kawhi Leonard coming back, Paul George, Zion Williamson, I I think the competition at the forward spots is just going to be really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And when it's that tough, I think it becomes a bit more of a popularity contest. And that's where Pascal, I think, might miss out. He repeats his third team. I hope so. I think so too. I, I'm weirdly, it's so funny because I think I'm extremely critical of Siakam when he performs poorly, but also I think that he's the most underappreciated Raptor of all time. And it's like for a fan base that always thinks about like the disrespect, the disrespect. It's like, God, when he's on, when like when he was hitting those turnaround jump shots, like those mid-range jumpers last year, I went, 
What 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 could you actually be? He yeah. averaged like twenty eight eight and six know, over no. the second half of that Sixers series. No. I know we're chopping it up into smaller things, For sure. but like you don't go thirty. But that's it. Can he put together yeah. a full season of mm-hmm. something like that? And if he does, I, I really do look at him and go, boy, the rest of the NBA should be kicking themselves if that guy was ever actually available. He had legit superstar moments in saying. that series, like yep. that mm-hmm. road game in Philly yep. when you came out at the start of the second half and he's knocking down that yep. turnaround fadeaway when he he's just knocking down those the three, games. and it was like. You're not getting any momentum here. Yep. No, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'll tell you, for me, I'm actually, I'm very excited to see Scotty's growth, but where Siakam is in his career, I'm actually more excited for that than any other Raptors player right now. Like it's I'm, probably the defining year of his career. Yeah, that's what like I mean. The, I'm most excited no, for Siakam. You weren't injured in the off season. It's not a pandemic thing. You're still the, the number one guy. This is the... There are no excuses. There's no context. Who yep. is peak Pascal Siakam this year? He's also 28, which is yep. right around when guys tend to enter their peak. There's no injury huge. from the offseason. Right. Yep. There's no drama kind of hanging over him. Um, I just, I, I'm really, really high on Siakam, and I'm very excited for what he could end up showing. Um, who on the Raptors takes the biggest leap this season? I I want to exclude Barnes because he's sort of the easy answer because mm-hmm. he has the highest upside. And I also think it's actually... It might not even be him because the expectations are so high for him. But, yeah, who outside of Barnes makes the biggest leap? Well, we have talked a lot about point guard depth, and we've talked a lot about ball handling. So I'm oh, going to go it. with Delano Banton. Yes, I think. dude, thank you. I, I, I did not want to go a, a whole show without Delano. <laughs> I'm in on this take. I'm fully here for this take. Continue. I think what he has shown over the course of the summer, he's worked on his free throw shooting. He's worked on his jump shooting. And when you look at the preseason, I love that he's sort of understanding the difference between being quick but not hurried, not rushed. Especially in the half court. Especially in the half court. And so he's identifying, you know, how he can use that hesitation step and how he can get to the basket. And those are key things. And when people kind of take that away, he's shown that willingness to take that pull-up mid-ranger. And so I think those are big things that will lend to him being uh, maybe the guy that takes the biggest leap this season. For a guy who grew up on the Raptors, he should watch some old Jose Calderon tape of like, yeah, (laughs) you don't have to be the fastest guy. You just have to change speeds the best. And that's what really keeps a defender up. I I like the Delano pick. I don't think we'll ever compare them defensively, but yeah. No. No. I hope not. Yeah. yeah, uh, to for the sake of making a different pick, I'll say Precious Achua. I think yeah. most of that growth actually happened in season last year, but we tend to view these things as season versus season. Certainly the most improved player voting is season versus season, not in season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you want to look at where Precious was this day last year compared to where he'll be at the end of this year. It's it's a pretty big jump, I think. I'm so glad that these were your two choices because they were the two that I debated between, and I was going to choose one of them had you guys not picked either. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm really bullish on the Banton thing. Like they're just he and he showed flashes of it last year, and he wasn't able to put it together consistently. But um, I I think that's the main why they didn't go and get a guard thing. They they think he can play. Remember the first few weeks of last season when we were all like, wow, look at the defense Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. is playing and how much ball pressure he's applying and he's getting all these deflections and yeah, steals. Yeah, that's Banton. Banton is going to be that guy yeah. in the first few weeks yeah. of the season. I'm, uh, I'm high, high, high on Banton. Uh, this was very fun. I would like to do this again sometime. Uh, I would like to do this again sometime soon. Uh, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast again. Follow both those guys. Uh, Twitter handle? Vivek M. Jacob. There we go. Like Murphy ODC. Everybody follows you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Subscribe, review, and we'll talk to you after the Raptors season opener.